Well, a couple weeks ago, I, I did a little bit of a, an end times update on some of the things that were, were happening, and I thought I would uh, continue tonight in uh, a little bit more uh, on that as, as we see the day approaching. And tonight I, I, I titled this, The Times of the Gentiles. And the question is, how long? How long? Uh, as for me, it could be tomorrow and it would be great. Amen. Amen. Luke twenty-one twenty-four. Jesus in his, in his um, counsel to his disciples about the end times, he said this. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led astray, led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so Jesus made this statement, this phrase about the time of the Gentiles. And so the t- tonight I want to kind of touch on that because he said that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So we're going to look at that a little bit tonight and, and, and explore that because that was a, a prophecy and a marker that Jesus gave explaining or, or helping us to understand what we should look for in the end times. Amen. Now, in Matthew and in um, Luke 21 here, the disciples asked him three questions, three separate questions. He said, that he, he, they asked him, tell us when shall these things be? When is all these things going to happen? The, the, the prelude to this was they had shown him the temple and the beauty of it and how wonderful it was. It was covered with inside with gold and outside was this beautiful marble and all of these other things that covered the temple. And Jesus looked at it and he was explaining to them that there will not be one stone left upon another. All of these things are going to be going away. And so they asked him in in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21, tell us when shall these things be? The second question is, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And thirdly, what is the sign of the end of the world? And Jesus in Matthew 24, 4 said, Take heed that no man deceive you. So one of the signs of the end time will be deception. Deception. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. In other words, that word Christ means anointed. There's going to be many people coming and saying, Yeah, I'm anointed and deceive many. When shall these things be? Matthew 24, 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. want to halt there because something I didn't realize until this war in Ukraine that Ukraine is either the second or third largest exporter of wheat. And they're predicting that because of this war now, there's going to be famine in India and in lots of places that used to buy this wheat because Ukraine was the second or third largest exporter of millions of tons of wheat. Famines and pestilences, and we've had that for the last three years, right? With this thing called COVID. 
And now, monkeypox. <laughs> and earthquakes in divers places. Verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. You see a lot of division even in the church. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So we're going to look at, at that statement that Jesus gave tonight. I mean, there, there's, end times is such a big subject, but I, tonight I just want to look at that one thing he said, that Jerusalem would be trodden down of the nations until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So when did the time of the Gentiles start? When did uh, Jerusalem be not, was not independent anymore? And it really happened after many warnings by God during the time of the last kings of Israel. And he kept on warning them that they needed to repent. Jeremiah was the prophet that, that to, the, to the last kingdom of Israel saying that they should repent. Well, finally, in the year 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came. And he came and he took Jerusalem. And he destroyed that first beautiful temple and burned down the city. And he took Zedekiah back to um, Babylon, killed all his, his children in front of him, and then he put out, put out his eyes. And that's when really the time of the Gentiles began because that stopped the sacrifice. They no longer had a temple. And it's, it's, it's in, the New, in the Old Testament in several places, but we'll read from Second Kings. 25, 1, and it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign. Now, I want to point out something that's interesting. I put the, the Hebrew date up there, which is um, Tishbav, um, the ninth of Av, which translates in our, in our calendar to August, to August the 25th. But the interesting thing about this is the ninth of Av is the same date that a few hundred years later, the Romans came and did the same thing. Exactly on the same date, the 9th of Av. So in the Jewish um, diaspora, that is, that is their day of, of, of disaster. That is their day of mourning because on the same date, separated by hundreds of years, the first temple was destroyed. And as Jesus was telling his disciples, you see there shall not be one stone left upon another, 40 years later, that second temple was also destroyed exactly on the same date. On the same date. See, in the Old Testament, what we have is types and shadows and symbols where God is laying out both his plan of salvation, symbolically, and also his plan of redemption. And then all of the prophetic events that are going to happen. So let's go back to Second Kings, where it lays out what happened. And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his host, against Jerusalem and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. He laid siege. In those days when cities were built with huge walls, they, they had to take them by first uh, encircling them and then laying siege. 
And in the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city because no food could come in and nothing could come in. It's only what food they had inside. So, of course, there was a famine. And the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and there was no bread for the people of the land. And the city was broken up, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees, that is the Babylonians, were against the city round about, and the king went the way towards the plain. Zedekiah tried to escape by night. And the army of the Chaldees pursued after the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was were scattered from him. And he burnt the house of the Lord, that is Nebuchadnezzar, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Remember, the the many parts of the building were of wood overlaid with gold. So they took all the gold and then burnt the wood, and then just to make sure, they took all the stones so that there was nothing left. And he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. And every man's great house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. So we can, we can say pretty certainly that the times of the Gentiles began with this event. When the Jews were no longer independent and they were, had been taken captive to Babylon and scattered Abroad, And in fact, their temple was destroyed. And we know what the date of that was, historically and in, in many records. So the question is now, after many, many years, who controls Jerusalem? When is the end of the time of the Gentiles? We know that in 1948, after almost 2,000 years, Israel became a nation. And then in 1967... They took over, they got control to some extent of Jerusalem. But still, technically speaking, legally, as far as the United Nations is concerned, Jerusalem does not legally belong to the Jews. On November the 29th, 1947, the UN General Assembly passed a resolution, which is as part of its partition plan for Palestine, included the establishment of Jerusalem as a separate international entity under the auspices of the United Nations. So technically, according to international law, Israel is not recognized as having control of Jerusalem. So technically, what I'm trying to tell you is we're still in the time of the Gentiles. What did Jesus say? That Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So the question throughout biblical times has been, how long? If you were to run a record in the Old Testament, you'd find that phrase come up so many times. Have you prayed and asked God, how long? How long, Lord, must I wait? How long am I going to have to go through these things? Well, in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't so different. Daniel, when he was a captive now, at the almost at the end of the 70 years, when his prayer, he, he asked the same question. How long do we have to wait before you will have mercy and restore us? In Daniel 8.13, he has a vision, one of his many. But Daniel 8 is probably one of the most amazing and surprising uh, scriptures in the whole Bible, and I'll, I'll show you why. 
He then says, I heard one saint speaking unto another saint, said unto the certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? Remember, there was no temple. They could not make all the sacrifices and and, and sin offerings and burnt offerings that they had been given in the law. And Daniel was given this vision and he was caught away to the palace uh, of the Babylonian king. And they had a canal in, in, in Babylon called the Ulai Canal. And he, in this vision, he saw himself by the canal. Then he saw two beings talking to one another. And then I heard one saint speak to the other saint and said, Unto the certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? And the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. He's asking the question. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days. Now in your King James Version, that's what it translated, translates it to. But in the Hebrew, it actually says evening and morning um, together. It's evening and morning. There shall be 2,000 Evening, mornings. And the funny thing, it's in the singular. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. You know, the Bible is a book of mysteries. Some of the things God has hidden, some of the things are plain. Salvation is plain. You don't have to struggle with what it takes to have a relationship with God. But there's some things he's only going to reveal in due season. There's some mysteries that he says it's only given to you my people to know him. In Matthew 13, the disciples asked him, why do you keep speaking in parables? He had told four parables and they didn't understand. Why do you keep speaking in parables? And he says, listen, the mystery of the kingdom is only given to you to know. There's some things God doesn't want Satan to know. Right? Satan's going to have some surprises yet to come. He's already been shocked. The Bible said, if the princes of this world had known Right? They would not have put him to death. If Satan had understood what Jesus' plan of redemption was, he'd have tried to kill him without him being the sin offering. And, and God has still got some surprises up his sleeve. Amen. The Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard what God has got in store. Amen. I don't know about you, but that makes me smile. That makes me get happy. God has got some great surprises. Amen. So here something is being revealed, but we don't quite understand it yet. The one angel says to the other that it's going to take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Well, most prophecies in the Old Testament have a dual fulfillment. They have a near-term literal fulfillment, and then they have a, a spiritual actual fulfillment. And in this case... This prophecy has a dual fulfillment. This was 500 years before Christ and the Babylonian Empire was at its peak when Daniel saw this vision. And about 300 years later, after the the Babylonian Empire came the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. And then after them came the Greeks, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great in six years conquered the then known world, and then he suddenly died. And when he died, his empire was split into four pieces uh, under the four generals that he had under them. And the two that are figured in this story 
are the Seleucids and the Ptolemaics, that is, the Greeks and the Egyptians. And so there was a dual fulfillment because in this vision that he had, he saw these creatures that represented these empires. And it really told the story of how the, what was going to happen in the short term. And in fact, because it was so accurate, the, 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 the scoffers and the doubters said, well, all of this was written after the fact because he couldn't have been so accurate with what was going to happen. And that was true until they found the book of Daniel amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then they had to be silent because God wrote history in advance. In the book of Daniel, it details the world-ruling empires that were to come and exactly what was to happen even in, after the last book of the Old Testament was, was written. So what happened was, after the Alexander the Great and his kingdom split into four, the northern kingdom, which was up in Syria, was ruled by uh, a Seleucid king, which is, that was his name, called Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And he was a type of Antichrist. He launched a, a campaign to, to try and make the Jews give up Judaism and convert them to, to pagan worship, all of the Greek gods, to make them stop um, circumcision. He, he polluted the, the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and he put up statues to Zeus. So Jewish practices were banned. Jerusalem was placed under direct Seleucid control. And the second temple in Jerusalem was made a pagan worship site. But because of this, the Jews rebelled. And they, they first started like a guerrilla war. And finally, after um, some years, about three or four years, they were able to um, get rid of all of the, all of the Seleucid kingdom, the Greek uh, kingdom. So... The, the leader of that was called Judah Maccabees, and that's where we have the book called the Book of Maccabees, which was written between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that tells the story of how they took back Jerusalem. And so this story in the Book of Maccabees, although it's not part of the, the canon of Scripture, tells the story fulfilling the first part of what Daniel had prophesied, because it turns out, it was exactly 2,300 days from the time they first started the war till when they rededicated the temple. And so this partially was the fulfillment. And on that day, from that point on, the Jews celebrated a miracle that happened. When they first came into the temple to dedicate it, they only found one jar of oil that was still ceremonially pure because the Greeks had been using it to sacrifice to their gods. But they found one jar, supposedly, that was sealed and they were able to light the, the menorah, the candlestick. And the story goes, the miracle goes, that, that that oil burned for eight days. And from that, the Jews commemorate what we call at Christmas, and this was on the 25th of, of Kislev, which is uh, our month for December, Hanukkah, the feast of lights. So, and I'm telling you all this history. You didn't know you're going to learn this history at Bible study. Amen. That's why we come to study. In 164 then BC, that is before Christ, the Maccabees captured Jerusalem 
and the subsequent cleansing of the temple and rededication of the altar on the 25th of Kislev is the source of the festival that the Jews celebrate today, which is called Hanukkah. And it celebrates what's called the Feast of Lights because supernaturally the menorah burned without oil. Now, in some of the other lessons I've taught you, there's something very special about that date, the 25th of Kislev. Anyone remember what's special about that date? Well, we were able to show from Scripture that that was probably not Jesus' birthday, but it was his day of conception. Because remember, it's called the Feast of, of Lights. And Jesus himself celebrated this feast in John chapter 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem the feast of dedication, and it was winter. It was our December. And Jesus, the light of the world, walked into the temple. In Solomon's porch. Now, this is how it connects to what we've been teaching. Then came the Jews around about him and asked him the same question. Look at this. How long? How long dost thou make us doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. He came in at the dedication of the temple and they asked him the same question that was in the vision of Daniel. How long? So this dedication was a partial fulfillment of what the angel had revealed to Daniel in, in 8, that it was going to take 2,300 2, evenings and mornings. And so you have to really divide that to get a day. So it's really 1,150 days. And when you work it out, you'll see that that number is significant. It's also in the book of Revelations, because it's, it's roughly the same three and a half years. How long that dost thou make us doubt if thou be the Christ? Tell us plainly. So now we saw that there was a, a partial fulfillment, a literal fulfillment. This, this king who was like the Antichrist came in and he tried to make them worship the images to Zeus and to the pagan gods. He slaughtered um, unclean animals and he forced them on pain of death, not to be circumcised. He tried to completely destroy the Jewish religion. He tried, in fact, to do what Satan's been trying to do from the time he found out the line through which Jesus was going to come. He was trying to stop the birth of Christ. You can see that down through history. So now, we know that there is a second literal fulfillment. And that's what I want to Concentrate, and I'm going to show you why that there is a second spiritual, spiritual fulfillment. Let's go back to Daniel chapter eight, verse nine, and let's read it. It said, "Then from one of the prominent horns, and this is in the New Living Translation. I've got the King James version on the left. Came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended towards the south and to the east and towards the glorious land of Israel." Verse 10 is where it gets interesting and tells you something strange is going on here. This is not just an ordinary man. It says, its power reached to the heavens where it attacked 
the heavenly army. Now, this is in a modern translation. Yehim, I'm going to read it in the, in the, in the uh, King James. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stomped upon them. You know, we're in a war. The war is real. It is real. Throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. Verse 11, verse 10 and 11 is really amazing verses in a modern translation. It says, it even challenged the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. So this literally happened when the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and burnt it, right? And so there was a literal fulfillment, but we see here that this is also speaking about something that was spiritual in nature. Verse 12 is also interesting. It says, The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. So the daily sacrifice was halted, and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Okay, we're going to really dive into this and look at this. We're going to take this apart. In the Old Testament, one of the first things that the Jews were told under the law, and something that they did every single day, there was something called the daily sacrifice. Anyone remember what that was? That they had to do every single day, no matter what day, seven days a week, 365 days a year? Someone said it, a lamb. But not one lamb, there were two lambs. There was a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And in, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's hatamid. Ha means the, tamid is speaking about the, the, the offering, the sacrifice. In Exodus twenty nine thirty eight. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. No matter what day it was, no matter what other stuff they were doing, they had to do the daily sacrifice. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening. And it was something they had to do no matter what. Even if they were on the road, if they were traveling, this was not, there was no exceptions for this. They had to do the daily sacrifice. No wonder Paul says that we, we have to, to, to become a living sacrifice. Second Chronicles also mentions it, Second Chronicles 13.10. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him, and the priests which minister unto the land are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. Verse 11, and they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table. And the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God. And behold, God himself is with us, our captain. So this was in the Old Testament. The sacrifice was a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. And of course, this all goes back to what I taught at Christmas about the fact that they would need over 700 lambs a year. That means they had to have flocks because not every lamb was perfect. So they had to have maybe thousands of, of sheep 
so that they could get 700 uh, odd perfect lambs. And in fact, the Levites, I believe, were the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. But in the New Testament, when Jesus came, we no longer offer lambs. There are hints in the Old Testament what our sacrifice should be. Psalms 141 verse 1 says, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Our sacrifice is supposed to be prayer and worship. And you understand that they had to do this continually, every day. We see that in heaven, of course, there is no animal sacrifice, but there was still worship. In, in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6, here's what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. And with twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other, another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In heaven, the sacrifice is praise. And worship. Amen. In the Old Testament, they modeled it in terms of an animal sacrifice. But even in the Old Testament, we see that there was a prefiguration. David in the Psalms said, let my prayer be a continual sacrifice. Let it be as the evening sacrifice. So God was already showing in the Old Testament what his plans were in the New Testament revelation. And of course, in Revelation 8.5, it speaks about what is, was going on in heaven. Just like in Isaiah's vision. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night. It's a continual sacrifice. Saying what? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Hebrews 13.15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise. You know when it's a sacrifice? When you don't feel like it. <laughs> when things are not going good. When you're at your worst. When you're in pain. When things don't look good. That's when you need to make the sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice if everything's going great. It's easy to be happy. But we need to make a daily commitment. That's what this is all about. We're asking how long, but we need to be making the daily sacrifice. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Paul said, In every circumstance, I've learned to be content. Can you be happy when you got no money? When you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. When the doctor says, there's nothing more I can do. That's when it becomes a sacrifice to thank him anyhow. That's what God is calling. And do you know, that is so awesome to God. That is so awesome to God. If there's anything you can do is be grateful. You don't need money to say thank you. All you need is a voice. All you need is a determination. You know, 
If there's one thing I, I really, really ask God that I'm never is ungrateful because I have no, no excuse. So in the New Testament, the sacrifices are our praise. And it's really a sacrifice when we don't feel like doing it. When on the face of it, there is nothing to thank God for. Where we might be going through some hurt. That's when it's a sacrifice. Something that costs us. So we see that the prophecy was that there was going to come a time when the sacrifice stopped. Now we, we read just now that they ceased day or night in Revelations 4, 8. They rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is to come. In heaven, there was continual praise. If you don't like noise or music, <laughs> heaven may be the wrong place for you. Because it says they cease day and night. I did a job once in Puerto Rico. And uh, the company thought they were being nice to me. They rented me a house right on the beach. But you guess what? It was so noisy because I wasn't used to the sound of waves crashing. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> all there was all night was just waves. I mean, for some people it would be nice, but for me, I, I just, the next time I went, I said, please, I need to, I need to somewhere further back. I know that's weird, but it, it didn't stop. There was no way of closing the windows. They were, it was so loud. The waves were loud. I guess I'll have to get used to it if I go to heaven because there's going to be praising and worship. Amen. There's going to be lifting up the name of Jesus. But we see that Daniel was given this prophecy how in the literal, Nebuchadnezzar the king came and he stopped the daily sacrifice. And we read in Daniel uh, uh, 10 and 11 that there was going to be a spiritual fulfillment of this where... It says he reached up into the heavens and he stopped the daily sacrifice. So when did this happen? Well, we find it in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. It's during the opening of the seventh seal. It suddenly says there was silence. You know why there's silence? Because there's about to be a war. God is about to end stuff. He's about to... Put an end to it all. And there was silence in heaven. The daily sacrifice, the praise and worship stopped. Now this hasn't happened yet. This is, this is, the, this is the, the, the prediction of the fulfillment. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And now the reason is, is because there's going to be war in heaven. Satan knows that he's down to his last act now. Revelation 12, 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. I love the back of the book, you know. I love the last pages of the book, because guess what? We win. <laughs> we win. We are victorious. I say we, but it's really God. Amen. He is victorious. 
Verse 8, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I love verse 10. You know what I say about verse 10. And it says, and I heard a loud voice. Thessalonians said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. Amen. Verse verse 10 in, in Revelation um, 12 is telling us the same thing. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now. You may be asking, how long? How long, Lord, do I have to go through this? How long, Lord, do I have to suffer? How long, Lord, before you put an end? There's coming a day when the, the loud voice is going to sound and he's going to say, Now. The answer is going to come now. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? Because the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. As I told you, this verse to me is the rapture. See, he comes down, we go up. Amen. He gets thrown out, we get caught up. See, this is the beginning of the cleansing in heaven. So we know when the times of the Gentiles started, it started with the earthly Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and behind him, of course, was the spiritual king of Babylon, which we've taught about before. And it ends when he gets totally thrown out of heaven. Now, it may surprise you that heaven needs to be cleansed. Well, the Bible tells us that. Let's read it again in Daniel Daniel 8, 14, and he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And then Hebrew starts to reveal how it's going to be cleansed. This heavenly sanctuary couldn't be cleansed as they did in the time of the Maccabees with the sacrifice of a spotless lamb or a spotless goat. That was not going to be good enough. Hebrews 9, 12 tells us that. Neither by the blood of goats or calves. But by his own blood, when Jesus died on the cross, when he said it's finished, that's when the cleansing began. On the Sunday morning, Mary came, and when she finally knew who he was, she was about to hug him. He says, don't touch me yet. You can't touch me yet because I have not yet ascended. I have not started my work yet. I have to first function as high priest. You can't touch me yet. Because you would defile me. I've got to finish. Hebrews begins to tell us what happens. Neither by the blood of bulls, of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. Having obtained eternal. Say eternal. That's a long time. Eternal redemption for us. Verse 22 goes on to explain and says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. And he goes on to say this amazing statement next. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens, what this scripture is revealing to us, that everything that God gave Moses was a pattern of the heavenly. The patterns on earth could only be cleansed with the blood of bulls and goats. But the heavenly... That wasn't going to be good enough. But the heavenly things themselves 
with better sacrifices than these. You understand that heaven itself needed cleansing because of the defilement of Satan. Because of what was going to happen. So we're going to go on a little bit more. We are not the only ones asking how long. In Revelation 6, 9, And when they had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the, the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony. As they say, you can't get testimony without test. That's part of the word, isn't it? You can't have something about how I made it over without actually making it over. <laughs> you have to go through it. Amen. Slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long? Even those who have already gone on before us are asking, How long, Lord? All those Christian martyrs who died. How long, Lord, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The end result, of course, we see when we get up there for that Feast of Atonement. Revelation 19.11 And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take over his city back. As I said, even now, according to the United Nations, Jerusalem is not legally, as far as the United Nations is concerned, ruled by Jews. Although they are controlling it, legally, according to the United Nations Charter, that is a protectorate of the UN. That is not legally a Jewish capital. I know that America has put their embassy there and four other countries have put their embassies there. But as far as the rest of the world is concerned legally, under international law, nothing has changed since 1947 that Jerusalem is supposed to be an international city. But guess what? Jesus is going to put an end to that. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. There is nothing more powerful than the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in white, in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, maybe the United Nations, <laughs> And shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. See, for 6,000 years, man has been doing whatever he wanted. Killing all of his servants. Despising all of God's mercy and grace. And all that's been happening is God's wrath is being stored up. God's wrath is being stored up. Verse 16, and he hath on his vesture, on in his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I've told you the story here of what's going to happen. We've had a partial fulfillment in the Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of Antichrist, but there is yet a future Antichrist to be revealed. And the Bible says that the only thing that's stopping it is the Holy Spirit. Why? So that the fullness of the Gentiles. There's two things in the scripture. There's the times of the Gentiles. And in Romans there's the fullness 
of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles is for me and you to be saved. Whosoever will. So, in the short term, what should we expect to happen next? Well, Jesus was explaining to his disciples. So, I'm just going to bring it up to date for you. What's next? What should you see in the next two, three, four years? Well, as I taught a couple weeks ago, I think, and this is just my opinion now, just my opinion, we're about to see so much demonic activity on a scale that hasn't been since the flood. I mean, just every night you hear about two, three people getting shot. People don't fight with fists anymore. They're just quick to pull out a gun. You're going to have human cloning and changes to the genetic code. You're going to have, I believe, the fall of a lot of democracies and takeover of totalitarian and fascist governments. You're going to have the issuing of digital currency. And of course, Jesus said you're going to have many more plagues and viruses. You're going to have more extreme weather, and you're going to have some really violent earthquakes. Now, I'm going to go through some of these in a little bit detail. Now, in the last one I showed you, or at least I spoke about, the revelation that Daniel had been given about the image, right? The head of gold, breastplate of silver, belly of brass, and legs of iron, and the feet of what? Iron and clay. But the thing that most people have missed about this image, and they represent, it represents all the world ruling kingdoms, starting with Babylon. He was the head of gold. And the reason, I believe, why what the metals symbolize is the amount of authority in one person. Being the head of gold, he didn't actually have laws. Nebuchadnezzar, whatever he said for that day, was the law. So he said to the wise men, if you don't tell me the meaning of this dream, I'm going to kill all of you and your families. He could just say that. And he could carry that. He didn't need a Senate or anyone to vote on it. He was an absolute ruler. Now, when it came to the Medes and Persians, they were limited by their own laws. If you remember, when the king set the law to put Daniel in the lion's den, he couldn't change it. The Bible said he worked to try and change it, but he couldn't because he'd already written it. He was subject to his own laws, the silver. And it descends from there down to the legs of iron, which in Rome they had a senate. There was still dictatorship, but it wasn't, it wasn't as absolute as King Nebuchadnezzar. But the thing that I want you to notice is that all of the elements of all of these kingdoms were different types of metal. And as I said last time, in scripture, men are not represented, represented as metal. What are we represented as? Clay. What this is revealing to us is who the real power of each kingdom was. It was not men. Not men. But when we come down to the feet, we see something different start to happen. Daniel chapter 2, verse 42. And as of the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay... So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now when all of those demons get released, do you know what they'll be looking for? Bodies. There's not even going to be enough bodies. 
This is just me now. That's why they're going to be making bodies. Jesus said, when a spirit cometh out of the man, he goes into dry places because they hate water. And then if he doesn't find and he comes and he finds the house swift, he comes and he brings back seven more worse. You know what that tells me? That there are demons have a hierarchy. There's some that are worse than others. Jesus said so. During the tribulation, there's going to be such a massive release of demonic entities from the abyss. And they are going to try cloning. I believe this is the interpretation of the clay mixed with the iron. Verse 43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, and the verse is very clear, they, sh- they, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So they can't be men if they're trying to mingle with the seed of men, can they? The verse is very, very clear what's happening here. But you know what? Verse 44 says, In those days, these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. You say, well, I don't see any of this stuff going on. Well, that's because you're not listening to the news. This Chinese scientist just a year ago cloned some human babies and went in and genetically altered some egg cells and implanted them in some women. And he got caught and was arrested and in fact, he's, uh, I think he's just been released. He edited the DNA to try and change, change what you, I guess what you would, what God first called Adam, man. So, Jesus said, as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, what was happening? It was the intermarriage of the fallen beings. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. This is from today. This is not from a year ago. UK breaks its record for highest temperature as Europe sizzles sizzles in heat wave. They just broke every record they had. This is from, uh, I took this at uh, July 19th this morning. Europe broke every heat record, and the place is blazing. Last year it was Australia, if you remember. Half of Australia was on fire because they were having abnormal heat waves. So if you're reading the news and you're not listening, Jesus is coming. That's what this is telling you. Here's the next thing I just said. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston and Massachusetts Institute of Technology released technological research on central bank digital currency. In the end, they're going to plan to get rid of paper money because then they can control you really good. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston and the Digital Currency Initiative at the Massachusetts Massachusetts Institute of Technology today released the findings of their initial research into central bank digital currency. So they're planning to bring in a completely digital currency, do away with paper money, because then then you can't cheat on your tax. 
they'll know exactly how much you got and what you did with it. They'll be able to trace it through computers. What about the plagues Jesus spoke about? This is just off the internet. Statistics say large pandemics are more likely than we thought. Not that Jesus thought. He knew. He said it. Most people are likely to experience an extreme pandemic like COVID-19 in their lifetime, a new study shows. Bible says that men's hearts will be failing them for fear. So what does all this point to? Look up. If you could stand with me. If you could stand with me. Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth ye see and know of yourselves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise when he see these things come to pass know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. So likewise ye when he see these things come to pass know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verily I say unto you the generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away before my words pass away. And take heed to yourself. This is what I preach Sunday. We get so caught up in everything else that we forget what our purpose is. Take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that the day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Remember what we're supposed to be doing? Offering the sacrifice. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you're going through. That's what makes it a sacrifice. Otherwise, if everything's going good for you, it's not much of a sacrifice. But it's when you're being beaten up. When you don't feel like it. When you can give God praise. Do you, not, do you understand how much that pleases God? Because he's able to say, Hast thou considered my servant? Just put your name in. He said about Job, Hast thou considered your, my servant Job? How, how look at all the things that have happened. His children have been killed. His wealth is gone. He's now sick. He's, he's on a, his, his, his friends are mocking him. And yet, and yet, he still worships me. He still thanks me. He still loves me. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape. Let's say escape. All these things that shall, shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. It's time for us to Remember why we're here. My goal is not to be the best at my job. I want to do a good job, but that's not my, that's not my retirement. That's not my 401k plan. Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Amen. We are living in perilous times. In Peter it says, oh yeah, we've heard this all before. 
From the time my granddaddy passed away, we've heard he's coming. And that's what they did in the flood. That's what they did for 120 years. No one was warning them. They said, old man, you're stupid. We've been hearing that since I was a child. And look, nothing has changed. You know, they say you can boil a frog if you do it slowly. Just look at this world. Just look at what's happening in this world. You can't go to a mall now and not be wondering, is someone going to shoot you? Right? You, you can't send your kids to school and not be thinking, I hope they locked all those doors. My wife was telling me that at the school now, they lock all the doors. You can't just get, go in. I mean, years ago, you didn't have to do that. They lock. This world is fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew 24. That means he's coming. He said if he didn't come, there would be no flesh left alive. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. What we can do in the meantime is to offer up continually a sacrifice of praise. I challenge you before you go to bed tonight that you just start thanking God. Don't ask him for anything. Just thank him. He already knows what you need. He's God Almighty. He doesn't have to be told what you need. Just thank him. Just thank him. Praise him in your situation. Praise him for whatever bad thing is happening. Lord, I'm going through this, but I thank you. Somehow, somehow. See, Romans 8.28 says what? And we know. Can we say that together? And we know. One more time. Say it like you mean it. And we know that all things, all things. Can you say all things? Amen. So so that's when I get the headache somehow that is still in God's plan to, to work it to my good. Not that it is a good thing. Not that my tire blowing up is a good thing. But God can take it and make it something good. Amen. Bible says he will cause your enemies <laughs> to come and, and, and worship. Amen. Your enemies will come and, and, and bless you. Hallelujah. We're going to close this service, but I just want to encourage you tonight. The key takeaway from this is we need to be offering the sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you tonight. Lord, for your word. Lord, as we look at all of the signs, they point to your soon coming. Lord, help us to be ready, that we can be accounted worthy to stand before the Son of Man. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lead and direct us, O God. Let your Spirit protect us, lift us up. Help us to look up, to help hold our heads up high as we walk through this world. Lord, as we bless your name, as we give praise, Lord, we offer up our hands in the evening oblation, in the evening sacrifice. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name.